0: This is The Omnichannel Marketer, the show where we get real about what it takes to build a brand, create a seamless omnichannel experience, and drive customer LTV across D2C, Amazon, and retail. I'm Kate Stevens, the CEO of Bridge. Join me for unfiltered conversations from the trenches of e-commerce. We'll unpack strategy and leave you with tactical advice you can use today to drive your business forward. Let's rock and roll. Hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Omni Channel Marketer. This is Kate Stevens, and today I'm excited to have Brianna Atkinson, founder and CEO of Kokata on the show today. Hi Brianna, how are you? Good. I'm excited to be with you this morning. So, why don't we start with a little bit of your background? You know, how did you come to found Kokata?
1: Yeah. uh, Long story short, about five years ago, uh, my fiance and I were living in North Carolina. I'm a big experimenter in the kitchen. So back then, cocotta was one of my many kind of kitchen concoctions. I was playing volleyball. One of my teammates had a nut allergy, so I could no longer eat my favorite sweetened almond butters, which I still love today. So I made this coconut spread concoction as something that I could bring around my team that was refined sugar-free Allergen friendly. When COVID happened about six months in, we were just dying to get out of the house really. So we started selling at a farmer's market. Kind of took on its own life from there. Our original intention was not to be where we are today, but obviously there was a need. People got really excited about it really early on. And two years later, here we are.
0: And so what was your background prior to becoming a founder of a CPG brand? (laughs)
1: Nothing related to CPG for sure. So, I was a athlete, a professional athlete for part of the year. I played for the Jamaican women's national volleyball team. So, sports, competitiveness, that is very relevant in CPG and startup land. And then, my other career back then was working in tech consulting. So, building artificial intelligence solutions for big Fortune 500 companies. There's a lot of relevant skill sets, but obviously, that is very different than consumer. (laughs)
0: So tell me a little bit more about, you know, Cocada and the brand.
1: Yeah. When we originally started, and again, we were not thinking we'd be a national brand back then, but the one thing that both my co-founder, who's also my fiance and I are personally very passionate about that really came through with the brand is proving that at a really early stage that we can have a product that number one tastes good. Cause that's most important for us is that it tastes good. It makes you feel good. It doesn't have added crap or anything like that, and it also does good. So from the very beginning, it was really important for us to build transparent supply chains to make sure that everybody's getting fairly paid, especially for a product like ours that's based in like coconut. We have cacao and some flavors. These are ingredients that could have some potential issues in your supply chain or some things that you don't really want to be going on. So from very early stage, we built our supply chain transparently, and we also donated 2% of sales back to our source where we were sourcing our ingredients. So That is like kind of the seed behind Cocotta's brand is it tastes good. It'll always make you feel good. And it does good. Um, And on top of that, it's just a product that's fun. So you'll see a lot of like sweatsuits in pink. You'll see a lot of like fun colors. Our goal is to make food fun for everybody.
0: I love that. And I actually remember meeting you for the first time at Expo West last year and mm-hmm. seeing your like your pink suits. And there's definitely yeah. a, a very fun element to the brand that you're that you're building. Tell me a little bit more about working at you know, co founding the business with your fiance. How do you split up the work and you know, how does that work out for you guys?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, luckily splitting the work is actually super easy for us. We are naturally oriented very different when it comes to how we think about things. He's much more like nuts and bolts. I like to say he's kind of like the engineer mindset. Like he'll pick something apart and like kill you with questions. So he manages a lot of operations, finance, that kind of stuff that requires an amazing, intense focus on detail. I focus much more on marketing, Product, of course, that's product development as well. Like We have future product lines that we're already working on now. Line extensions, sales, that's kind of my realm. So dividing up the work is is quite easy. Of course, there's places that we work together, specifically like in fundraising, for example, or we're, we're looking to partner with the major retailer. That's a decision that requires both of us. That's where, as a couple, it can sometimes get a bit... Harry, when we have very different points of view and more importantly, very different ways of thinking about things. I think that's what makes us such an amazing team is that we tend to think almost opposite when we get to a conclusion. But that also does mean on a personal level, we have to work really hard to make sure that our work doesn't bleed into our personal Um, We have a great relationship in both realms, but it takes a lot of work and also a lot of ability to be vulnerable with each
0: other. So it
1: it takes some humility for sure, but it works out really well for us.
0: I mean, I think the complementary skill sets make such a great team. I I can speak to the same with my own co-founder, not in a a personal relationship with Mm -hmm. him, but as well. But yeah, that complementary skill set is so important. Okay. So, you know, Coming back to, you know, Cocada and launching your brand. So it sounds like you started first at Farmer's Markets. You know, what after the Farmer's Market was the first channel that you launched in? Yeah, I'll start with like our logic back
1: then. At that early of a stage with no food and beverage or really consumer experience, we didn't know what we didn't know, but luckily we were aware of that. So we really wanted to start small and grow slow in the beginning and just focus on learning like as business leaders and as founders before worrying about, top line or growing really fast or any of those things that now we think about. So our first kind of channel that we went into after those farmer's markets, and it took us about six months of farmer's markets just to feel out our customers and like how to do business, was with local co-op stores. And I really recommend going this way for anybody that's not coming from food and beverage or consumer is to launch small, local, in co-op stores. So we Ended up with about 15 or 20 of them after a couple months and really just focused on how do we figure out velocity and movement and working with the stores and all that stuff that everybody talks about all the time. So we stopped with those local 15, 20 stores and we stayed there for almost a year and really took our time in understanding what's going to work for our product Um, We continue to focus on the natural channel today, but now we're focused on the natural retail channel expanding outside of local, of course, and now we're regional and soon to be national, but we're really hyper-focused on the natural channel first, and we also have a couple other channels as well. Now we're really starting to think about, you know, a year from now, we want to be Stronger in other channels as well, although we have a footprint in them. How can we like be a true like? I'll say the word since we're on the podcast like omni-channel brand that's strong in multiple channels all at once within the next like six to twelve months.
0: So, what is a co-op store exactly?
1: Yeah, so co-op stores are stores that are they could be technically customer-owned. So, um, an example locally is Weaver Street Market. They're based in Durham and Raleigh, North Carolina. They were our first like. Multiple store chain. When people shop at co-op stores, they tend to be lo- locally owned. They might work with the big distributors. They might not. But they tend to be locally owned, very, very mission-driven, very focused on bringing diversity to shelf and on like being really involved locally and kind of incubating brands like us back then who were really, really tiny and just trying to figure it out. But like the big kind of differentiator between a co-op store versus something else is that a majority of their customers buy into the store on an annual basis. I forget how much Weaver Street Markets buy-in is. It's very small. They can range from mm $50 to $100. So the store is built around serving the customers like truly. And the customers really are like the owners of the store. So it's a very local driven mindset for these stores.
0: And so what did you learn in, you know, being in those local co-ops that has helped inform where the product and how your distribution is today? Uh, A lot. I mean,
1: of course, we learned the basics of just (laughs) food and beverage in those stores. And what's great about partnering with those stores is their buyers are really focused on also delivering value to their brands. So when you're that early of a stage and you're launching in a store, there are some stores where you need to perform ASAP and, you know, you're going to get cut in a couple months if you're not. And there are some stores that are much more focused on incubating early stage brands and really taking an active role. Um, And a lot of these co-ops are the latter. They're focused on incubating the brands. They'll be a little bit more patient. Of course, you have to put in the work, go in, you have to ask the questions and be proactive. But we found that these stores are really patient in terms of working with us. What we learned that really has made a difference for us is we're now in multiple regions is focusing on the customer. The co-op customer, especially co-ops in North Carolina, that is a very specific niche, a very specific type of customer. And we were in there demoing like every single weekend like every single weekend, like talking with people, writing down stats, figuring out who's buying, who's not, who's saying yes to the sample, who's not. Taking that amount of time to figure out our customer in that store helped us when we launched, like we launched an arowana a while ago, informed that launch. And we decided to fly out to LA and do those demos ourselves. Of course, it's great to move product ourselves and be out there. But more importantly, we were acutely aware because of these co-ops that, you know, co-ops in North Carolina's customer are going to be very, very different than Erewhon customers. Erewhon customers are going to be different from, you know, a Sprouts or a Whole Foods from a Wegmans. So I think what we learned by doing is it's worth investing in number one, capturing like who our customer is in a given store and investing the time and getting to know those people and why they're buying the product
0: so co-ops and then sounds like you launched an air One. you know mm-hmm. where is the brand today as it relates to distribution
1: yeah so we're in the two major distributors now just UNFI and ke we're in a couple different regions we're in about 200 like independent like under 20 store chains so mostly on the east coast in the northeast the southeast we have a few in the midwest and then a little hub in LA with Mother's Market and Erewhon and Clark's, and we love those stores over there. We're about to launch with a national retailer in another month. It's a natural retailer, no names being dropped right now, but we're gearing up for that. And that's kind of our like big breakout event. We've really taken our time to get to that point, but right now we're in about 200 doors, soon to be six or 700.
0: Amazing. that That's like going to be a giant uh, jump in growth for you guys. I know that you were part of the, you know, the Target Forward Founders program. Could you tell tell me a little bit more about that and you know how that's you know helped CoCADA?
1: Yeah. I mean, I rave about that program to anybody who will listen. So we were so lucky to be a part of their Forward Founders program about a year into our business. Back then, I'm super transparent and just like how many times that we get rejected because every entrepreneur does. Um, You know, we applied to heaven knows how many accelerators, grants, like 100, 200, like a ton of grants and accelerators. And we got so, so lucky that Target Forward Founders is one of the ones that worked out for us after 100 nos, It was worth 100 nos to get in there. Forward Founders is really focused on investing in the entrepreneur. They Number one, they give you a grant, which is amazing because of course it is a time commitment. But number two, they take, I think it's two meetings a week or three meetings a week, and they go kind of function by function. How do you build this company? Not just to get into Target, because although that's a really great goal that's not always right for every brand at that early of a stage. And we were one of those brands that went into Forward Founders like, we're gonna get into Target in six months. And then after six months, we are like, we don't wanna get into Target in six months. We're gonna wait a little bit because we're not ready for that. So they they took a session on distribution, a session on what deductions to expect from distributors, another session on velocity, and like what's Target's expectation versus a very different channel like natural, right? Mass is very different than natural. So they're really hyper-focused on, it's like an MBA for food, Founders, we got so much value out of it and they're still very active with their alumni. So we continue to have like a great relationship with Target Accelerators. That program is really what took us to the next level, not just as food founders, but also as like business leaders. And of course the network is amazing. So I could rave forever about that program.
0: Tell me a little bit more about, you know, why you thought you weren't ready for Target and, you know, what you like saw about Cocada or other businesses at your stage and you know why because I, I could imagine it's like, oh yeah, Target, that's the dream account. Mm-hmm. Why it still could be in the future. Would love to oh. know yes why.
1: Yeah. Target is definitely still a dream account in the future. I'm I've been a Target shopper my whole life, so we will get there. I know it. But back then When we went into Target Accelerators, we were quite naive and we just thought, you know, you get in and we're going to move off shelf and you're going to like get all this revenue and it's going to be great. Of course, after that whole Accelerator program, understanding the world of distributors, the world mass market, it's very competitive. Most brands do need a significant amount of capital upfront, of course, to get the inventory out there, but more importantly, to support that inventory with marketing programs. More unique challenge for our product is where coconut spread, we always describe it like Nutella, but coconut-based, it is really unique. And it's not necessarily like another almond butter, but a variation where people would know what it is. takes a significant amount of effort to make sure that people run into the product either by demoing or couponing or Merchandising, or there's tons of ways to do it. But to launch in a target that early of a stage in a brand as with a brand as unique as ours would be very challenging. We definitely now know that we want to build in the natural channel where we can focus on slowly but in a more stable way kind of building brand awareness building loyal customers in different regions and then launching in a target when we have more of a national brand awareness so that took like months to kind of get to that conclusion and you know no early stage founder wants to get to that conclusion that oh like you know, a national launch day one is not right for me. Um, everybody wants it now, but I'm so thankful that Target was incredibly transparent and honest and kind of gave us all of the the facts behind what it takes to succeed in a store like Target because it's it's really, really hard and it looks easy. From the outside, but it's really hard to succeed in mass market that early of a stage. So I think we know that it's it down the line is going to be right for us. But building in the natural channel and other channels too, like Amazon and all these other channels is what we want to do first before we go into a target.
0: Yeah. So actually, talk to me about the channels that you're in today. You know, I think you have your own website, mm-hmm. Amazon. You know, how do you think about those different channels that you're in, and then you know, having a consistent brand relationship across those channels.
1: Yeah. This was another learning curve for us. If it's not obvious early stage, we wanted everything now. So very early stage, we went into those 20 kind of collapse. We took our time there. We wanted to be on Amazon really early. So we like as an early stage brands kind of stuck the product on Amazon and then let it ride. Didn't really do much with it. We had our website and that was kind of our three channels. What we learned through Amazon after a lot of trial and error for about six months is that for our product, Amazon is an amazing place for customer acquisition. It's a place where we want to invest like ad dollars and make sure we have different variety kits available but really investing in Amazon and considering it more as a marketing channel focused on customer acquisition rather than a true like revenue play is the way to go for us. I and mean, once a customer runs into Cocada on Amazon, we have great reviews. They'll go into their grocery store. They'll see cocotta on shelf. And that's kind of where we hope to retain these customers when they're going on their grocery trips. So that took... That conclusion took six to 12 months to get there. And we recently relaunched on Amazon and really built out our brand experience. Previously, it was like bubble wrap the jar, send it to Amazon, let it be. Now it's a much more branded experience, really focused on wowing the customer from the get-go. And more importantly, pushing them to the channels that we know we can reach them later on. Education is a big thing for coca Like how do you use the product is always a question that we get. So That question is one that we need to answer from the get-go, no matter what the channel is. And through Amazon, through digital, we can do that by sending them to our website, by collecting emails, educating them via email, social media. So the focus with Amazon and digital customers is to capture them, their emails, and social media so we can continue to educate, share recipes, and do all that good stuff. So those channels kind of work, in my opinion, in parallel to retail more as a way to find customers.
0: So Amazon and website is a way for you to find customers, educate them on the brand. With ultimately, the vast majority of your fe- like revenue and future revenue will be driven through retail. Is that exactly. you know how you yeah, do it? We're,
1: exactly, we're definitely majority retail, and we're heavily focused on retail. That's where we see our our brand and our product really succeeding. But Amazon and D 2 C. Although are not as big of a piece, I think are just as important because we can find people faster. We can find customers faster that way. Makes complete
0: sense. And so, sounds like different methods to kind of bridge the gap across those different channels. You know, I heard collecting customer emails. You know, how do you think about you know bridging those gaps, but then also you know that end-to-end brand experience.
1: Yeah. I'll start with, I like to talk about being an early stage founder because there was, there was a lot to learn. What we were most shy of early on was like asking people, can we have your email, you know, like push you to your, to our social media. It felt very early stage, like, oh, we don't want to like bother people. But now we realize we've been here for a few years now that if a customer will allow us to collect their email, if a customer does follow us on social media, those are the places where we can really provide value. We can provide entertainment in our kind of wild brand story as a little team of three that have no cpg experience entertainment's key we can provide recipes that they can use for cocada or for other things we can provide ideas on how to use cocada other product recommendations now we know when a customer elects into either our email list serve or our social media that we're really providing a lot of value for that so we've been focused on that from day one in terms of brand experience our focus is to be really consistent in two different things number one, our brand is fun. Our brand is entertaining and our brand is kind of aggressively transparent, specifically on platforms like TikTok is a good example where we really show like the ups and downs in the day-to-days. And we're starting to do that more with Instagram, just figuring out how that's going to work. But even in our inserts now um, that we put in all of our packages and stuff, it's literally pictures of our faces, um, the three of us and our story. It's not a cute picture either. It's It's kind of a weird, funny picture, but we know that it's important to be really transparent with our customers on what it looks like to build this product and who the people are behind the product. And our hope is long-term, that's how we build community is just being transparent. You know, we're just people and we're building a community that's focused on better for you products that are still indulgent, but can also do good together. So that's our focus with our brand. And we try to make sure that that comes through in every single channel, including at trade shows. So it doesn't matter where we are. That's what we're always focused
0: on. Love that. So you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how you're really passionate about you know female founders uh, fundraising. You know, talk to me a little bit more about you know why you're passionate about you know this topic.
1: Yeah. So we recently now we're closing out our pre-seed round, and we were one of those lucky brands that started when the market was way up, and then it went way down. We went through that that whole thing. Everybody's aware that it's it's much harder as a female founder or a minority founder, and then when you combine those two, especially when you're a minority female founder, to raise capital either through network, through friends and family, through angel investors, and through VC, right? There's tons of ways that you can do it. But the reality is that a very, very small percentage of fundraising goes towards female founders and minority-owned founders. Especially as the market went down, those numbers only got more disparate between those groups. So one thing that I've personally taken on this year is it's, it's never fun to talk about these things on LinkedIn. Like specifically, everybody wants to be positive, including me. I'm one of the most positive people you'll find out there. But the reality is you can't fix something if people aren't aware of it. And nothing speaks to the current state of something more than facts. So sharing those facts so more people can at least be aware of the problem is step one. And then step two is actually doing something about it. So what that means for me is more actively speaking with other founders who are particularly a bit earlier stage than than we are in what it really looked like, how many no's we got, what materials we needed, how we went about finding the right people. For a lot of founders, whether you're a female or minority or not, it's really hard to find that information, but, it's, but it might be even harder for those groups. So I'm very passionate about that. I've been speaking more and more about it um becoming less afraid of speaking about something that is a really hard topic to speak about. But if we all can get more comfortable talking about it, then we all can get more comfortable doing something about it.
0: Love that. I, you know, can resonate with that as well. You know, not an a minority founder, but you know, as a female founder. Just how many no's you get. And Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone about this the other day that it only takes one person to believe in you in a fundraise, but you know, you're going to get a hundred no's to your point, you know, before that, Um, or, you know, that's just the expectation. So I love that you're, you know, being tactical about you know sharing what you learned and what it's really like, you know, both publicly and with other founders because I think that it's not just like that fundraising announcement. It's not just the like the good. There was like really hairy, Ooh, yeah. really challenging process to get there. And it, yeah. it can get dark. <laughs> get really yeah, dark that's what I'm so there I'm some I'm... Moments. <laughs> Dark Days. <laughs> yes. So anyway, I, I share that passion with you and hopefully we honestly would love to work together to you know help other other founders with that as well. Okay, moving into our lightning round, your favorite omni-channel brand. I love watching Midday Squares and Fly by Jing is a tie. So I have to say two. Those are both incredible <laughs> brands. We, yeah, we had Jake on the podcast and he's like simply hilarious. The thing you wish you could change about our industry.
1: More transparency across the board, more transparency. <laughs>
0: Favorite podcast?
1: A lot of them, but I love HBR IdeaCast. I listen to that a couple of times a week. It's all about business leadership and management.
0: Amazing. Favorite newsletter?
1: Charter. I read that one every single time it hits my inbox. It's high level news stories through data visualization. So there's tons of charts and
0: cool visuals. Cool. I don't know that one. Love it. I'm going to check it out. Favorite social media channel. Personally, TikTok. I love TikTok. Professionally for our brand,
1: Instagram. Favorite book. I'm really liking the one I'm reading right now called Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. It's all about how he built Nike, but it's more about the really early days that were really ugly that people don't talk about. It obviously resonates.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yes. And then favorite event you're planning on going to this year? Expo West in a couple of weeks.
1: This is our first year with a booth, Expo West. So we're that's a huge accomplishment. And obviously there's a lot of work after that, but we're super excited to be there. Oh, that would be so much fun.
0: And then where can people connect with you?
1: Very responsive
0: on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with
1: me. Also Instagram as well, either through our brand page, which is Eat Cocada
0: or through my personal page. Amazing. Brianna, thank you so much. It was so great having you. Thank you. If you liked this podcast, follow me and the Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really loved today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.